The sermon text for today is our second lesson, the lesson from Galatians chapter 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear friends in Christ, my fellow redeemed. About 500-ish years ago, a German monk stood in a room filled with very important people. And as he stood, right next to him were a pile of books, books that he wrote. And those books, in general, generally speaking, all dealt with the two questions, how can we be called good people? How can we know we have a good relationship with God? In general, those books treated those questions. Because as this German guy, as Martin Luther, explored those questions in the light of Scripture, as he read the Bible and asked himself those questions, he found out that a lot of people, especially in the church, were out there saying things that the Bible didn't say. So as he wrote those books, he made it clear that he frankly disagreed with what the church was teaching. And as he stood in that room next to his pile of books, people were looking at him and important people were saying, are you going to take that back? You wrote in those books that you disagree with us. Are you going to take it back? And Martin Luther, after some deliberation, you know, he was kind of nervous about this whole situation because he wasn't positive that he was correct, but as he thought about it, he said, unless you can show me from Scripture why I'm wrong, I can't go against what I've said. Because I see all these rules, I see these regulations, these things that you're making people do, but I don't see any of that in Scripture. So unless you can show me why I'm wrong, I will not take it back. Because that would be to go against my conscience. And I'm not going to do that, he said. Conscience. Little thing called conscience. You can understand Martin Luther's point of view, right? You don't want to go against your conscience either. I always think about the the Disney movie Pinocchio, which of course is based on an older story. But in in Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket shows up, right? And his job is to be Pinocchio's conscience, to, to sing and dance and to guide him, to lead him. Your conscience guides you, doesn't it? Guides you to know what's good and what's bad. It rewards you, it congratulates you, that voice inside, your conscience congratulates you when you do the right thing, and it condemns you, it accuses you, it says you did something bad when you've done the wrong thing. Maybe you've seen other cartoons where uh, a little angel version of, of yourself appears on your shoulder and tells you what to do. That's kind of like your conscience, right? Or maybe you've read uh, the story The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. A murderer has his slain victim buried underneath the floorboards, but he swears that he can hear the beating of their heart. 
And as that heart beats, it drives him mad, reminding him of the sin, the crime that he's committed. And as spooky as a story as, as that is, as intense and macabre as Edgar, Allan's Poe, Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe's writing is, you kind of can understand how the character feels. You don't want your conscience standing over you, accusing you. You don't want to be on the bad side of your conscience. No, in fact, we prefer our consciences to be silent. A quiet conscience is, is a good conscience, right? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great if you could just be free of having to worry about your conscience all the time, about having to worry about the, your conscience bringing up the sins that you've committed, the wrong things that you've done, because you know they were wrong. You want to leave them in the past, but your conscience gets worked up again. Don't you want to be free from that? Well, I got good news for you. The good news that Martin Luther was well on his way to discovering when he stood in that room next to his books, there is freedom. In fact, Paul says in our lesson for today from Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Christ has set you free. Really? Freedom. Is freedom the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about the Christian faith? If you are a Christian watching with us, is freedom the first thing, the first way that you would describe your walk with Jesus with? If you're not a Christian, on the outside looking in to the ways that Christian, Christians live their lives, do you think that it's, it looks like freedom? Now, what's the common misconception or the common criticism of the Christian faith and the tenets of Christian morality. It doesn't look like freedom. It looks like a new set of rules, doesn't it? The Ten Commandments. All of those commands in Scripture about how we should live. That doesn't seem like freedom, especially to a non-Christian. That seems like a new set of rules. That looks more like servitude, like slavery, than freedom. And we Christians, before we smirk, before we chuckle to ourselves and say, nah, you just don't get it, let's reflect for an extra second. Why do so many non-Christians take a look at the Christian faith and think that it's the opposite of freedom. Why do they think that? Is it because of us? Have we ever acted or spoken in such a way that portrays our faith, the Christian faith, as just a bunch of stuff you gotta do? in the way that you act and you speak about your life of faith. 
Does it sound like freedom? Or does it sound more like slavery? No, we all want something to point to. We all struggle with those questions. Christian or not, am I a good person? Can I have a right relationship with God? Even if you don't know that's the question you're asking, that's what it boils down to. How can I quiet my troubled conscience? Because you and I both have sins that we would prefer to bury under the floorboards and never have dug up again. You and I both have secrets, things that we don't want anyone to know about. We, we don't want to hear it again from our consciences that we're bad people because of those sins that we committed. But the heartbeat of those sins thumps through the floorboards and will drive us crazy unless we do something about it, right? Unless we find a way to quiet our consciences. And... For the Christians in Galatia, there was a group of people who had a great idea. Yeah, they knew about all, all the Christ stuff, they knew about the cross, they knew about the message of forgiveness of sins, but they said, wouldn't you like something concrete to point to so that you could know that you were on God's good side? Wouldn't you like something physical to be able to see and say, yeah, that's how I know I'm on the right side of the tracks. And that's how they preached and promoted the practice of circumcision. Circumcision was that Old Testament, uh, the tie to the Old Testament covenant. Since Christ came, there was no need for it anymore. But these people said, you know, why not, why not do it? Why not have this concrete physical thing to point to, to be able to say, I'm special, I'm set apart? Maybe. Maybe we're not tempted to do circumcision. Maybe we understand that it's lost its religious significance because Christ has already come. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. We're not bound to those things anymore. But wouldn't it be kind of nice to have something concrete to point to? Every time your conscience comes and bothers you, every time your conscience brings up old stuff again, don't you want to reach for something, anything, to quiet your conscience to get Jiminy Cricket to stop dancing, to get the floorboards to stop thumping. So maybe it's not circumcision, maybe a cross necklace. Maybe a Christian-themed tattoo. Maybe you open up your day planner and show your conscience the way you've split up your Sunday morning. See, I go to church. Maybe it's what you're going to write at the ballot box. See, I'm a Christian. What's the harm in looking for something, something physical, something concrete to quiet our consciences? The harm is pretty drastic. As attractive as it sounds, to look for something to make yourself okay with yourself, the harm is great. Paul says it like this. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, 
Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. We all want a quiet conscience. We all want Jiminy Cricket, the angel version of ourselves on our shoulder, the floorboards to shut up and to leave us alone. Otherwise, they'll drive us crazy. There is a way. There is a way to walk with a clean conscience. But it's much more than any of us can handle. See, the bad news, my friends, is that your conscience doesn't even tell you the whole story. Your conscience will bother you when you do something you know is wrong that makes you feel yucky. What about the wrong things that you do that don't feel that bad? See, living right, being a good person, having a right relationship with God is not just doing those good things that you feel comfortable doing while leaving everything else undone. No, if you're going to try to justify yourself, if you're going to try to be a good person on your own, if you're going to try to quiet your conscience, then you got to go the whole way. you got to be perfect, absolutely perfect. It's not enough to stand on the street corner and rage against those issues that make you feel abhorrent, that make you feel disgusted. You've got to preach out against every issue that makes God feel disgusted. It's not enough to shake your, set, to shake your head and say, how could they? When you see that somebody did something terrible, when you see on the news that somebody killed their spouse. Meanwhile, while your spouse says something about a friend or about somebody at church or about anybody that you know that they shouldn't be saying, that crosses the line of lovelessness, and to just pass by that. No, to be a completely good person, totally good, completely conforming to God's holy will, his moral law for you and to me, it's got to be 100%. Otherwise, it's 0%. You and I cannot be like the high school freshman who turns in his first book report and gets a zero. He goes into his teacher's office and says, why did I get a 0%? I thought I did a great job, the teacher points out. No, you didn't. You plagiarized on this page. You missed the page minimum. It wasn't even on the topic I asked you to write about. I can't give this any, any points. The, te the teenager, the, the freshman, can rage against the teacher and say, but I thought I did such a great job. I liked my paper. It doesn't matter. There is an objective set of criteria that you got to meet to get a good grade. And it's the same with our morality. It is not enough for you to look in the mirror and be satisfied with the person you see. We got to think about who's the person God sees. Our conscience may condemn us or it may congratulate us. We might not feel that bad about some of the stuff that we do, but what about God's law that's standing over us 
and saying, you think you're doing a good job? You're nowhere even close. That's how it is without Christ. If you alienate yourself from grace, but with Christ, well, that's where the good news is. Brothers and sisters, my dear friends, let's drop the charade. Our only hope, our only answer is to stop trying to bite off more than we can chew. Stop taking up the monumental task of justifying ourselves and admitting that it cannot be done. Let's throw aside our arguments for how good of people we are and just admit it. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve anything good from God. And when you admit that, when you finally see that, that it's pointless to justify yourself or even try, then you're ready to see grace for what grace really is. Because Christ is for you. Christ. He, he knew you were a sinner. He knew about the wrong things that you have done and would do. But there he goes to the cross to suffer the penalty for sins, to bleed and die, to forgive you of all of your sins. Why? That's what grace is. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. But there it is, freely given to you. Once and for all. No take-backs. God is not going to change his mind, his final answer for your sin, for the wrong things that you have done, those things that prick your conscience. That was at the cross, where Jesus Christ died to forgive you. Your sins are washed in the blood of the Lamb, the atoning sacrifice for your sins. That's what grace is. God's undeserved love for sinners like me and like you. That's what you point to when your conscience bothers you. When Jiminy Cricket, the, the little version of yourself in those floorboards, are crying out saying, you are a bad person, you are sinful, you've done wrong. You know what you say now? I know. I know. I know I shouldn't have done that. I know I spoke wrong here. I know that that was a sin. But look, Christ died for me. I know I'm a sinner, but I know that for sinners, Christ died. I know I don't deserve God's love, but because of Christ, I have it. How can you be a good person? You know you haven't been. But Christ was good for you. How do you know that you have a good relationship with God? Because Christ bought it for you with his blood. How do you know that God's not going to punish you in hell for your sins? It's because Christ has suffered hell in your place. There's nothing you have to do to justify yourself. Christ has justified you already 
That's the righteousness of God, the rightness of God, that Christ was right when we were wrong, that Christ makes right where we have messed up. You have a right, correct, good, good to go relationship with God. You are his own dear child, redeemed, loved, forgiven, all free of charge. You're free. Set free. And you're free to love. Paul says this. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We have two major different ways of talking about freedom, don't we? There's freedom from, and there's freedom to. We talk about freedom from oppression, injustice. Freedom from the iron fist of a dictator. Freedom from tyranny, from taxes, what have you. You have been set free from the burden of a guilty conscience. Free from the punishment the guilt of your sin deserves. Free from the burden of having to fulfill the whole law, God's moral will, by yourself. But we also talk about freedom too. In the United States here, we talk about freedom of religion or freedom of speech. And what are those if not the freedom to practice what you want without recourse from the law, without punishment? In Christ, what are you freed to? You're free to serve and love your Savior. You're free to express your faith through love. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't quite sound like freedom. That sounds like servitude. That sounds like slavery all over again. Free to serve? To do what Christ wants? Well, understand this. You don't have the burden on your back to try to earn God's love because you have it already. You are simply walking an expression of the love God has given you. You don't have to fulfill the law to become a good person, to become right in God's sight. God has already declared you right in his sight through Jesus Christ. You're simply walking according to who you now are in Jesus. This happens through faith. Faith is as simple as looking at Christ on the cross and saying, there he goes for me. Looking at your risen and ascended Lord reigning in heaven and saying, that's my Savior. That's what faith is. See, through faith, you know that you are a sinner. You know that you are forgiven. So express that faith, that, that knowledge of that beautiful grace of God through love. Showing other people the grace that you've been given. 
forgiving other people the way you've been forgiven, serving other people the way that you've been served, thinking about other people with kindness, compassion, not holding their sins against them, because that's how Christ has treated you. Now that's freedom. Because your relationship with God doesn't depend on it. You're free to just go and do. Serve your Lord. That's true freedom. How do I know that I'm a good person? No, that you're not. Not by nature, anyway. But everything good in you comes from Christ. How do you know you have a right relationship with God? Oh, you know that for certain. Just look at the cross, where you see your sins forgiven. You have been freed from the guilt of your sin. Freed to express this great grace that you've experienced with your life. That's what freedom is. Because that's what grace is. Far beyond what you have earned or deserved, but there it is for you. For free. Free of charge. And no take backs. Because you have been saved by grace alone. Amen. Amen.